we know that God is holy. But in order for us to imitate our Father in heaven, in order for us to pursue practical holiness in life, we need to know something of what the life of holiness actually looks like in this very messy, this very unholy world. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us. And, you know, we hear the word holy, and maybe it's good, Jonathan, for us to begin with the definition. Because when we think of holiness, many of us probably have a number of different ideas of what that may mean. So let's let's uh, define our terms. When we talk about our holy God, what do you mean? Well, holiness is a big theological concept, and it won't be one that we can give a one-line definition to, probably. But as we begin to dig into Scripture to try and understand what the word holy means and what holiness is, I think we begin to understand that to be holy is to be set apart from all that is defiled, all that is wrong, all that is stained by sin. It is to be totally other. And, of course, as the Bible teaches us about God, it presents God as the one who is profoundly separated from defilement and sin, the one who is totally other. And so he is holy. He is the definition of holiness. He is the essence of holiness. Well, we're going to continue to look at this from the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in chapter 6 as we begin our message, The Holy God. Here is Jonathan. There are some announcements, some pieces of news, some truths that we welcome with joy and with great enthusiasm. And there are, of course, others that we might prefer to avoid. When I go to pick up our mail from the mailbox around the corner from our house, there are, there are usually a few things in there. If we've been away on holiday, away for the weekend, maybe there will be a little bit uh, larger a pile of, of things to work through. And you know the experience of kind of leafing through the pile and deciding at a glance which ones you're keen to open and which ones you might prefer to just set aside and ignore for a little while. The birthday cards, the packages from Amazon, the magazines, those, well, you'll open those right away. You're interested to see what's in there. The, the brown envelopes from the CRA, you know the ones. <laughs> the credit card bills, the tax notices from the city, those you'd be happy to leave at the side of your desk and try and forget about them for a little while. When it comes to the attributes of God, when it comes to leafing through the characteristics of God in a survey like the one we're undertaking in these weeks, His holiness is perhaps the envelope that we might prefer to leave unopened for a while. The love of God, well, we eagerly dive into that like the new package from Amazon. The mercy of God, well, that is a birthday card with a check inside. The grace of God, that's our favorite magazine. We love to read of that. But the holiness of God, well, we sense that it might be uncomfortable to open this one. We sense that it might cost us something. And if we're honest, we might prefer to set it aside for a time. We'd rather ignore it if we possibly can. Theologian R.C. Sproul said some years ago that the failure of modern evangelicalism is the failure to understand the holiness of God. David Wells, another contemporary theologian, writes that the holiness of God is given inhospitable treatment. The modern church wants therapy, not redemption 
to be happy, not holy, to feel good, not be good, to avoid pain, not sin. Well, that's the church, and I think in some measure he's right. In some measure, I think that's us. We find God's holiness challenging, even unpalatable, difficult to think about because of its implications for us. But then looking beyond the the family of God, the people of God, to the person perhaps who is considering the faith, exploring the faith, well, the holiness of God, it can be a great deterrent. One writer I read this week made the simple observation, when God is rejected, He is not rejected because of His power, His wisdom, His love, and His grace. He is rejected, says this writer, because of His holiness. You see, the onlooker might enjoy the idea, might welcome the idea of a loving or a powerful or a gracious God. All those things are attractive. All those ideas can be appealing to us. But a holy God who will inevitably demand holiness from His people, perhaps not. Not for me, not today. No, thank you very much. Holiness is an envelope among one or two others of the attributes of God that we might prefer not to open. But the holiness of God is, of course, supremely important for us to understand if we are to understand that God made known to us in the pages of the Bible. As some have said long before me, God's holiness is His attribute of attributes. It gives shape and coherence to all the others. There is a real sense in which holiness summarizes who God is. I understand that in the Old Testament, God's name is qualified by the word holy more than all the other qualifiers added together. Yes, He is the Almighty God. He is the Lord Most High. He is the Lord who provides Jehovah Jireh. He is the Lord who sees. But in a sense, above all else, He is the Holy One. The 17th century Christian writer Edward Lee put it like this, Holiness is the beauty of all God's attributes, without which His wisdom would be but subtlety, His justice, cruelty, His sovereignty, tyranny, His mercy, foolish pity. Our first point this morning is the profound but simple point that our God is holy. Our God is a holy God. You may have heard that the Ebola outbreak in West Africa is spreading and concern is growing. Rwanda briefly closed its border to the Democratic Republic of the Congo this week in an effort to try and slow the spread of the virus. And in a situation like that, quarantine is vitally important. Containment, it's essential. Separation, it's necessary. You see on the news pictures of health workers in those full-body containment suits. At its core, the concept of holiness is all about separation. That's at the very heart of the idea in the Scriptures. To say that God is holy is to declare that He is entirely other, unlike anyone else or anything else. He is God, and we are creatures. The Bible actually shows us that God's majesty and God's glory are tied very, very closely with His holiness. He is majestic and He is glorious in His holiness. You see, He's totally unlike us. He is uniquely divine. That's His glory. That's His majesty. And at its core, that's about holiness. 
In his great song, Moses asked the question, Exodus 15 and verse 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? God's holiness is, in fact, at the very heart of why we worship Him. The psalmist writes in Psalm 99 and verse 9, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at His holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. God's holiness, His otherness, His sheer godness, it's why we worship Him. It's why we praise Him. It's why we adore Him. Now, generally, when we talk about holiness and when the Scriptures talk about holiness and the holiness of God, the particular and specific reference is to God's moral or ethical distinctiveness. He is set apart in His moral perfection. He is pure, and He always does what is right. He's totally unstained by wrongdoing in any respect. That's why I think the Bible often uses the imagery of light when speaking of the holiness of God. At the opening of his first letter, John memorably declares that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. And because He is all light and all purity, God cannot be in the presence of sin. Habakkuk speaks to the Lord in these terms in chapter 1 and verse 3. He says, "'You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look on wrong. That's who God is. The Bible makes it clear that this pure and this holy God has a deep revulsion against all that is evil and all that is unwholesome, all that is sinful. Psalm 5 and verse 5, the boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. When the people of Israel presumed to worship God with hypocritical hearts and hypocritical lives, He declared to them in the strongest terms, Amos chapter 5 and verse 21, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. God hates sin, the Bible tells us. He truly hates it. But in utter contrast to sinful people, the holy God Himself, He always does what is right. Isaiah says of Him, Isaiah 5 and verse 16, but the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows Himself holy in righteousness. The martyred saints in the vision of Revelation chapter 6, they base their expectation of justice on the holiness of God. Listen to what they say. Revelation 6 and verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? At the end of the day, the holiness of God means not only that He is worthy of our worship, but that he is rightly to be feared. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called The Holy God. It's a part of our series called Who is Like Our God, where we're taking a look at his characteristics and attributes. And if you miss any broadcast in the series, you can always come and listen at our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. You know, old age often gets bad press. It can be associated with grumpiness and aches and pains, sometimes loneliness or isolation. You know, it's often not something we look forward to or really relish once we're there. 
But pastor and Bible teacher Derek Prime was in his 80s when he wrote a book called The Good Old Age, showing us that there is another way to view old age. And he guides us through 26 Christian priorities that we should hold later in life. We'd love to send you a copy of this book, A Good Old Age, as you give a gift and support this ministry. You can give online when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. Back to the message. Here is Jonathan. In one of the most important and memorable passages in the Old Testament, the passage that we read earlier, the prophet Isaiah is given this vision of the Lord in His majesty and His holiness, and he rightly reacts, instinctively reacts, with fear and with awe. The angels who cover themselves in the presence of God, they call out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And when Isaiah sees the Lord, he immediately feels, instinctively feels that this vision of the Lord in His holiness, it must lead to His undoing. For how can a sinful man be found in the presence of a holy God? Woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and I have seen the Lord. Now, you see, that is the response right there. That is the right and the appropriate response to the holy God. The Lord is holy. That's His character. That's His identity. Again and again, both in, in the Psalms and in the book of Isaiah, God is called the Holy One of Israel. Friends, I wonder if you and I really understand, really comprehend, really ever think much about the holiness of God. It's all too easy for us to imagine that God is not really so holy as the Bible says He is. I mentioned the history of prohibition in the United States last week. That time is quite a fascinating historical study on a number of different levels. It was actually a time, really, of terrible hypocrisy. It was a time of hypocrisy because the law banning alcohol sales was so widely flaunted, even by the lawmakers themselves, even as the government's official position was against the sale and consumption of alcohol, bootleggers would deliver illicit shipments of alcohol to the Capitol building in the United States in Washington to be consumed by the lawmakers who had passed the law. Alcohol would be served in the White House even as the president led an officially dry nation. One of the leading forces in bringing down prohibition was a New York socialite by the name of Pauline Morton Sabin, who managed to rally large numbers of women to the cause of changing the law. For her, a key impetus in doing this, and in fact in changing her own personal position, was finding that eminent lawmakers, congressmen and so on, would come to her elegant dinner parties and whatever they might say in public, no matter how they voted on the issue, they would expect to be served alcohol, served wine from her cellar. You see, it was hypocrisy right, left, and center. And that's why the bootleggers and the crime bosses assumed that they could get away with what they were doing. They knew that the lawmakers were just like they were. They expected a wink and a slap on the wrists and nothing more for their illegal activities. In Psalm 50, the Lord declares His majestic holiness and challenges us in our perception of Him. And at verse 19 of Psalm 50, He says this, "'You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. 
you slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. And here's the key line I wanted to notice. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. You thought that I was one like yourself. Isn't that an interesting statement? The people thought that God would tolerate their behavior because they imagined that God was just like them. And how often we imagine, even subconsciously, that God is just like us, tolerant of sin, passing it over as a a mild indiscretion, a little something I struggle with rather than anything more. Puritan Stephen Charnock writes of how quickly people are ready to frame by the power of their imaginative faculty a God not only winking but smiling at their impurities. It is too common, he says, for men to fancy God not as He is but as they would have Him, strip Him of His excellency for their own security. You know, we delight to think of God as our loving Father of Jesus as our our friend, as the Spirit, as our counselor, and all those things, they're wonderfully true of our God. But do we recognize as well that He is the God of blazing holiness who cannot abide sin? The one who, as Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 16, dwells in unapproachable light. You see, if we understand the holiness of God, it is natural that we should fear Him. The conquering believers in Revelation chapter 15 sang the song to the Lord, Revelation 15 and verse 3, "'Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy.'" All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Who will not fear and glorify your name, for you are holy. God is holy. That's our first point. And the next one is this. God models holiness for us in Christ. For any job we need to do, any role we need to fulfill, we all need good role models. In family life, in marriage, in parenting, we all need healthy role models to show us how to navigate these things well. In the workplace, we flourish if we have a good mentor who sort of takes us under their wing and really shows us what it's like to do this job and to do it well. Those who jump into a career or a profession without any kind of a model will often tell you of some years spent kind of in the wilderness, making some mistakes and learning a few lessons the hard way. Some will tell of outright failure, painful failure that could have been avoided if they just had a good role model to help them. We know that God is holy, and in a moment we're going to think about the fact that He calls us to be holy even as He is holy. But in order for us to imitate our Father in heaven, in order for us to pursue practical holiness in life, we need to know something of what the life of holiness actually looks like in this very messy, this very unholy world. After all, none of this is straightforward. It's actually immensely hard, isn't it? And some of the choices we'll have to face, some of the situations we'll have to walk through, some of the ethical decisions we will have to make, they can be immensely complex. 
And in our sinfulness, we're liable to get this wrong. We get this wrong all the time. We might tend, on the one hand, toward legalism or harshness with others or with ourselves in pursuing the call to holiness. That's what happens when the gospel gets distorted. We see it in the cults and in Christian movements that have kind of gone off the rails. Or we might tend, on the other hand, to a kind of anti-law approach, an anti-nomism that just emphasizes being loving or, or, or gracious, as some would see it, although it's skewed, and just saying that anything goes so that the call to holiness, well, it gets entirely lost in the shuffle. It's easy for us to get this wrong. And if you and I are going to understand authentic godliness and pursue genuine holiness, well, we need a model. We need a guide to help us. If we're to navigate holiness in an unholy world, we need to fix our eyes ultimately on the person of Jesus Christ, and we need to look carefully at the record of His holy life in the Gospels. You see, it is in the person of Jesus Christ, in the man Jesus Christ, that the holiness of God is shown to us perfectly in human form. It is in Jesus that we see the character of the eternal God displayed in total perfection in a human life. It is in Jesus, in His earthly life, that we are given the model of a totally holy, a perfectly holy humanity. Very often throughout this series, we've returned to John chapter 1 and verse 14. It's such a vital verse. In speaking of Jesus there in verse 14 of chapter 1, John affirms that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glorious character of the holy God is displayed in the perfect life of Jesus Christ. He came to earth and lived an entirely holy life, showing us nothing less than the glory the glorious character, the holy character of our God. The book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4 and verse 15 that Jesus has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so when you and I want to know what it looks like to be holy, to live as a holy person in this world, we've got to look to Jesus. We look to His kind words. We look to His gracious works. We look to His goodness to His friends, His grace to His enemies. We look to the loose hold He had on the things of this world. We look to His passionate concern for the good of this world. We look to Jesus. We see His welcome to children, His mercy to the sinful, His kindness to the outcast. And as we look to Him, we see practical holiness on glorious display. This is Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message called The Holy God. And we have to pause the teaching right there, but we'll continue next time. Hope you will make it a point to join us. But if you ever miss a broadcast or you don't catch the entire broadcast and you want to hear it again, you can come to the website EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. You know, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported broadcast. We're able to stay on this station because of your generosity. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book written by Derek Prime. It's called A Good Old Age. 
so many books on the Christian market focus on work and parenting and following the Lord through the teenage years and, and some of the issues that really impact younger people. And I was struck by the focus of this particular book on living for Christ in old age, <laughs> toward the end of life. And of course, that's such an important focus, and we don't give enough attention to that. But I'm so grateful that Derek Prime wrote this book and that it's available, and we're so glad to make it available to you. Well, again, it's called A Good Old Age. We ask you to give a gift of any amount, and we want to say thank you by sending you a copy. You can go online and give by coming to EncounterTheTruth.org. You can also call us at 833-998-7884. That's 833-99-TRUTH. Or again, the website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for doing that and for listening today. I hope you'll join us next time.